The Gerontological Society of America, Advancing Innovation in Aging. GSA on Aging. I'm Howard Dagenholtz, social media editor of The Gerontologist, a bi-monthly publication of the Gerontological Society of America. This week, I interviewed Dr. Victoria Burns about her paper, Homeless for the First Time in Later Life, Uncovering More Than One Pathway. I saw your paper in The Gerontologist on homelessness, and I wanted to ask you what got you interested in that topic. So, I started working in this area about 10 years ago, and it was actually home that was the main interest. So, I worked as a home care social worker for about five years in between my undergraduate in social work and my master's and PhD, so around that time. And I was always, I think since I grew up actually, I was always fascinated with, uh, you know, what home means, um, what that sense of belonging, also the built environment was something that really interested me, and also gerontology, and I think that, that um, the older piece was because I was uh, very close to my maternal grandfather um, growing up, and my maternal great-grandmother lived with us, actually. So I always felt very comfortable and at ease around older adults as a child, and um, also how quickly my grandfather went downhill, his health, when he uh, was placed or I guess, relocated, uh, actually both grandparents, into nursing homes and um, how devastating that was. So I think that that uh, is kind of the, the broader context. And then the homelessness piece specifically was during my, um, before I started my PhD, I started, I, I was coordinating a research project on gentrification of older adults and social exclusion in Montreal and Quebec, looking at two different neighborhoods and looking at what happens when people are displaced from their homes in later life. And unfortunately, some of them are, um, ending up on the streets. So, um, and then that coupled with the realization that older people were the fastest growing population in the city's shelters and that this was something that was uh, happening across Canada and also in the States, but there was really very little research. Tell me what the main finding was. What I was interested in knowing and curious about was what it's like to be over 50 and finding yourself in a homeless shelter for the first time in later life. So I interviewed 15 older adults who were in homeless shelters, emergency shelters in Montreal, and it was their first experience of homelessness. So within the literature, there's kind of most of the research is on what you know we refer to as chronic homelessness. Right. meaning people who become homeless in earlier life and kind of that stereotype of, you know. But what we're finding is that there's people who have led, quote-unquote, conventional lives, have raised families, have had stable work and housing, and then are finding themselves on the street for the first time. So it's a very, it's a subpopulation. And the finding, the main finding in this particular um, uh, piece is that within this subpopulation, there's actually two different pathways into first-time late-life homelessness. The first pathway, it, people who kind of more resemble the chronic homelessness, but, but technically weren't homeless based on kind of, I guess, most 
common definitions because they had a roof over their head. That said, they were either paying, you know, 80% of their income towards rent, were living in substandard housing, you know, with bed bugs, um, overcrowding for many, many years, and then, but they were not technically homeless. So, um, and then the second population were kind of more, more had more stability. They had more of a rapid trajectory into homelessness, and often it was because of extreme loss. So, um, like for instance, one gentleman was 70, and he had lost his mother, daughter, and wife. Uh, they had all three died within the span of five months. He he had been an accountant his whole life, and uh, within a year he was on the street. So it was you know that relapse into alcoholism, like there were many factors, but what was interesting is that often, so I think what this, what this story says and what, what it does is it challenges the idea that not only older people are this homogeneous group, but older homelessness, there's a lot of heterogeneity, not only the chronic and recent, but within the recent or first time homelessness, there's even two pathways, which is really interesting because those two pathways call for different interventions. Tell me, what what do you think are the um, different differential interventions or policy responses to people who fall into these two different patterns? I think that for the the rapid group, that the the rapid rehousing actually would work better. Um, so as soon as they access the shelter, uh, it's yes. You know, not kind of earning your time, but actually to pick to to prioritize this group to get them into housing as quickly as possible. Yes, I think the second group, often because they've um, been battling these housing conditions for a long time or interpersonal problems with landlords, this kind of thing, they're actually relieved in a way to come to the shelter because right. they're exhausted. These people actually seem to uh, benefit from aspects of the sheltered housing and it makes me wonder you know if there isn't some dual some uh, psychological behavioral issues going on there or at the very least the social isolation that's being addressed by that the congregate housing that they're in when they get to a shelter that's really important i think and that's where this group actually seems to do better in, and the literature supports this, in congregate models, mm -hmm. so place-based interventions rather than scattered site models, because they are so isolated, uh, and they also need time to recover, and are just, and, and that's where the way shelters in Montreal are set up, I mean, you can only access them for a certain period of time, but this is, you know, people who have been, managing really trauma for a long time and grief and loss right. and treating them essentially like criminals or you know needing yes. to leave during the day and line up and you know being called by a number and not their name and those are the things they were telling me whereas they need and this is another publication that just came out that I did related to the same project but it's actually reframing homelessness as disenfranchised grief yes so maybe we need interventions in shelters around grief and like trauma-informed practice well, and grief. So, Victoria, what are you working on now? Uh, well, I'm working on a few different projects, and the main one is called Beyond Housing, 
And it's a continuation of the article that was published in The Gerontologist. But this project specifically uses digital media uh, and doc documentary film in particular um, to share the intimate rehousing portraits of formerly homeless older adults. Oh. So we're actually following and kind of spending time with the, the participants in a in-depth way, and they are the experts of their experience. But it's really looking at, you know, what factors sort of work together to promote this sense of place after having had an experience of homelessness. And looking at not only the, the different, the diversity within the older homeless population, but also the different types of, of housing that's available. Uh, and this is Calgary-based, so I'm out in Calgary, Alberta right now. Yeah. Well, that's very and, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the output from that will be a video or a, a documentary? Yeah, exactly. So I've partnered with... Um, a community-based filmmaker named Joe Kelly who has done a lot of work with marginalized populations and he's kind of like a, a more than just a, a technician so we really work closely together as mm -hmm. as partners and go out into the community and we do shoots and kind of we've done drive-along interviews and walk-along interviews with with our older participants and Really, it's a sort of a day in the life of, and we just won actually. Um, so this is funded by Tri Council, um, which in Canada is a Shirk grant. But we just, um, as a way to to promote awareness too, we put together a pitch for this Telus Story Hive competition. And Telus is, um, I don't know if you have Telus in the states. I'm but familiar with it. It's a uh Telecom. You know, so a phone, it's a yeah. big phone company, um, yes. kind of media, and they they started this story hive competition for filmmakers, and there's different, there's different programs, and this one was a 10-minute digital short, so we put together a one-minute pitch, and we had to get people to vote on it. Okay. So, right. University of Calgary, they put together a little story on it, and you know, all through digital media, through Facebook and social media and everything. And we ended up getting, um, I think, like 6,000 views of, of it. That's awesome. Which which is pretty cool for something because it's really this bridging of academia and media, like we call it acamedia. Or acamedia. <laughs> so <laughs> so w <laughs> that's really cool. So tell me, is there a... Uh, is a fil is there a film that's going to come out? Is it completed? Where is it in the? How far along is it? Yeah, so we've we started shooting this year, and now that we have this, like literally, we just found out yesterday that we got the extra funding, and it's a it's a mentorship program, and this means we'll have access to all of their platforms as well, and we get the money is to kind of up the ante and get it to industry standard as well so we'll do a screening probably at a small um theater here and you know who knows but we will but it's really sort of changing the the p and participatory action because 
even if we didn't win the money, what was interesting is that it created a buzz around the project because the community was able to vote. Yes. So they knew about this issue, and a lot of people didn't realize that older homelessness was on the rise, and you know that we're 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 really bringing it to the human level. And everyone, like that's sort of what I wrote in the in the grant as well, that it's shifting from, you know, what what I refer to as often the the lofty language of academies to film, which is the universal language of the heart. That's very exciting. I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that. Are you continuing on a- academic research in this topic also? There's, there's two pieces to it. There's the, there's the film component and then also looking more into a methods paper, something mm-hmm. around the challenges of these walking interviews and you know, these go-along interviews with mm-hmm. the with people that I know, like Graham Rolls did back in the 70s, kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, you know, and looking at, uh, like, we just did a, we just presented at this Methods conference uh, a paper that's in the works called Weathering the Storm, and it's looking at that mobility piece and navigating the winter city, so in Canada, and kind of using the age-friendly framework for that as well, because mm-hmm. it's not really considered the the kind of seasonal uh, challenges for older adults. Yes, I've been to Calgary in February. It's very cold. <laughs> not only is it cold, it's because I just moved here last June. I, I lived in Montreal for twelve years, and it's not a walking city. No, they they really don't. Um, it's not accessible, like for even for able-bodied people, it's really hard to get around. And as someone who relocated from Montreal, which is, I mean, I didn't even have a car there, so yeah. I walked everywhere, and I find it extremely difficult to get around. And I'm able-bodied, so this was something that we've looked at. Like we had planned all these really interesting walk-along and ride-along interviews with people, but no one goes out because right. it's just not. You just can't. <laughs> right, right. So that that's people very people really felt like that prisoners kind of in their own home. That's uh, very interesting. So so how does that play out for the homeless or shelter uh, dwelling people? So the well, this particular the the beyond housing piece, like this study that we're doing now, we didn't focus on the sheltered homeless. We focused on people who had been rehoused in different types of okay. of of um, accommodations. But I but it's actually worse, and I can speak from the research that went on in in Montreal because it's similar here that you know about fifty percent of shelters now are. Um, of shelter spaces occupied by people who are over 50 and many do have mobility issues and not all the homeless shelters are adapted for people with mobility issues. So, like, not all of them are equipped with elevators and you can imagine, like, how hard it is for anyone to get into a bunk bed, but if you're, (laughs) you know, like this kind of thing. Um, So, and also needing to leave during the day when you're 20 and can hop on public transit, you know, go around. But if you're 
not able-bodied and older, and it's just everything is more challenging. It's just a model so that doesn't work for the for that population. It's just not. Yeah, it, it just doesn't make any sense at all, and. The irony, I guess the paradox you could say of it is that the government say, well, we, we don't want shelters to be too comfortable because it'll encourage people to, you know, stay in them. And and I can say in this 10 years I've been doing this work, I've never once met somebody who, you know, who, who really chose that lifestyle. And the, the reason why there's entrenchment into street life is because we don't treat people with dignity and respect. And then... Um, it's just hard to get out of that once you're in that mindset. So it's about how can we make shelters, uh, you know, not punitive for being poor, um, but actually helping people and giving them that sense of, of dignity and purpose and community that we all need uh, and are hardwired for. Very so well. by reframing it that way. Very well said. Victoria, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. It was very interesting and informative. Well, thank you. I think this is uh, a really uh, kind of neat idea. And anytime there's anything around alternative forms of getting the message out about aging, and I think it's great. Thanks for listening. To learn more about The Gerontologist and to read its latest articles, visit the journal website at geron.org. The Gerontological Society of America was founded in 1945 to promote the scientific study of aging, to encourage exchanges among researchers and practitioners from the various disciplines related to gerontology, and to foster the use of gerontological research informing public policy.